0: Welcome to Great Minds. And uh, I'm almost without speech in this case in introducing <laughs> our guests. And I'm an enormous fan of the two gents we have on today, David Phillips and Evan Susser. I came to know them as the two, we'll call you co-commissioners. Is that is that fair in this context? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> of my favorite podcast, The Deli Boys. Uh, they are outstanding comedic minds, both write for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and we're going to get into a lot of their careers. But I met both of you thanks to my son, Benny, who lives in Los Angeles, and said, Dad, you have to listen to this. You'll love it. Wow. And what you would not know is that I grew up, my family's from Brooklyn, I grew up in Queens, and I worked in a kosher deli in my teen years, the Windsor Park Deli in Bayside, wow. Queens. Wow. And, uh, so your podcast, which we'll get into, um, is beyond brilliant and, uh, and I'm such a fan. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you. That was a great it, introduction.
2: Well, it was uh, a great introduction. And we always say for people listening, the best way to be introduced to our podcast is by your son. That was re- yes. that's really the target of what we're going for. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, it's hap- where well, I'm just really thrilled to hear yes. it happen
1: through your son or through now. Th- yeah, we were like, either we'll get either we're going to, directly to our moms to ask their friends or yes. to our friends to ask their moms. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's either either way, that's the end game.
0: Fantastic. So uh, what I thought we'd do is sort of jump right into the chicken in the pot, if you will. Sure. And I want to <laughs> talk about segments. Uh huh. One Great. of the things that you do brilliantly as part of the comedy buffet that is the Delhi Boys is you have these brilliantly conceived and executed segments. And in thinking about it, I sort of went back to the development of comedy in this country and, and in particular, guys, the experience of Jewish immigrants. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and you look at vaudeville, it was really improv before anybody knew what improv was. And comedians, many of them Jewish, being funny out of painful experience, because that's where a lot of comedy comes from. um, That leads ultimately to the modern day improv, which we'll talk about. But in my mind, what you guys do so well in a contemporary way really goes back to the very beginning of comedy in America. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that early emergence of Jewish humor and who really inspired you when you were getting started or even today?
2: Well, First of all, I think you undersold how good the segments are on the show. Um, I think that starting at the birth of humor and the immigration experience—I mean, these are these are top-notch
1: segments that we do on
2: this podcast. Uh, No, that's (laughs) obviously all very nice of you to say.
1: Um, And And it was—it was our, our that was what started the podcast where we were like, we want to be as good as the very beginning of comedy. (laughs)
2: Yes, it hasn't (laughs) gone past that Um, No, so I think that uh, I think that definitely Both of us have uh, An American Jewish comedy influence um, On our comedy I think we both grew up Watching uh, watching television So Mm -hmm. Seinfeld And The Simpsons for me I would say were pretty influential As early influences Mel Mel Brooks and the whole Your show of shows kind of uh, writing staff which is going back a little earlier than that um
1: and david i don't know about you as far as what you'd say uh well i would i would say like in terms of jewish comedy i i definitely would say mel brooks was sort of the linchpin and i then become becoming more of a comedy nerd delve further in the like Mel Brooks verse if you will with like the knowing who the writing staff was and all that but it so started from the very like more accessible Mel Brooks movies and knowing who he was Um, and then yeah I would say weirdly a non-Jewish influence was Conan for me and then would you just what do you guys think do you think now this is this would be going to a good segment for Deli Boys how Jewish is Saturday Night Live it's a great question (laughs) (laughs) it takes place in New York Where, I mean, where do you rank that? Very Very Jewish. Jewish.
2: Uh, Yes. (laughs) Couldn't, couldn't be more Jewish. All the other shows are taking place in Los Angeles. They're going to take place in New York. Pretty Jewish. You have some early important writers, Al Franken, Alan Zweibel, Jewish.
1: Yes. Um, But Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. Very
2: not Jewish. Not Jewish Very not Jewish.
1: What do you think, Matt? How Jewish well, do you think? Was I, Saturday
2: Night I, Live Jewish I, to you? I
0: think you could probably put a little more Jew in there and probably probably be okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, had,
2: Saturday, Night Live is a sh- yes, Saturday Night Live is a show that's famously been, you know, kind of up and down. I think maybe this is the answer. More Jews just be up all the time. <laughs>
1: uh, up. Yeah. And then also famously, the hours and the cocaine, more yes. Jews make that a little bit easier, make the hours a little better. Maybe don't come in on Saturday. You can't work on a Saturday. You turn the lights off on Saturday. Yeah. That could be a big deal. That could be a problem. Let's do a a Thursday afternoon show and then get to bed early, (laughs) early get to bed early and you can watch it on Saturday if you want, but we don't have to work on a Saturday. Fantastic. So
0: I, I consider you two to be one of the great contemporary comedy duos, <laughs> and I think I did undersell the segments, by the way, yes, they are, man, they are yeah. brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'll completely concur with you, Evan. So when I think of the great comedy duos, I think of Abbott and Costello way back, and not used but very funny, uh, Laurel and Hardy and Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, of course. If we paint the wide brush, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David. Talk about your experiences as, as a collaborator. Because that seems to be really baked into you both. I know Evan, you and your writing partner, uh, who wrote Fist Fight, which I mm-hmm. watched again last night just so I'd be all fresh. <laughs> Loved it again. Thank you, uh, thank you. And and both of you, um, you're brilliant collaborators. But that seems to be really baked into both of you.
2: Um, yeah. Well, thanks. That's a, yeah, that's that's a very nice. Of very nice. You. Um, I think that for me. Uh, a little bit collaboration, it comes from insecurity. And that if it's just me, I feel like, well, well, who am I to say what's funny or what's good? But if at least one other person likes it, and I'm like, well, don't blame me, you know, David thought it was a good idea. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think that's always good with a collaborator.
1: Yeah. Um, and for me, it's laziness a little sure. bit. Well I think It's not laziness that's the joke version but I do Think it makes it more fun Uh, Doing the work alone Is only Satisfying when you're done with The work and and then that's Only satisfying if it comes out good And then if you do the work with someone else You can share some of the blame like Evan said so it's not as harsh and (laughs) It's a little more fun along the way I do think I didn't know this As much but like going back to the influences of comedy, it was some element of when you started becoming fans of these things, you were like, oh, I just want to be in a room working with these people that sort of ends up like becoming part of what you want to do is collaborating with people for whatever reason, whether it ends up being a good experience or not, isn't always the case, but like you definitely want to sort of work on things with like-minded people, I would say. And that's probably what happened with Evan and I, where weirdly uh, we met, in a less Jewish atmosphere, I would say, wouldn't you think?
2: Yeah, oh, definitely. I,
1: yeah, all of our friends that we sort of met through and were were working on at UCB, and I think that's probably how Deli Boys kind of yeah, naturally the, the came upright about.
2: The Brigade Theater, which is yeah. uh, which is a comedy theater or is a comedy theater in Los Angeles, um, and I, you know, moved to Los Angeles very much with a view of television comedy writing, informed by. You know, old depictions of television writers' rooms, and I thought, oh, it's just going to be crawling uh, with Jews working in comedy. And then at the upright Citizen Brigade Theater, I, we were—I was kind of surprised there were less Jews. Um, and David was uh, one, so we kind of bonded over <laughs> that uh, together.
0: So, yeah. so you—you you still ex-
2: plenty, still plenty. Yeah, I want to still, be. You know, yeah. It was. It wasn't so bad, and you know, still too much is what you're saying. Too much, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: too. Oh, you, can, you can either always have too many or never have too many. I suppose. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you went exactly where I wanted to go next, which is UCB, which is mm-hmm. one of the incredible training grounds, you know for great comedic minds that this country's ever produced. Uh, the UCB theater, uh, sadly here right near where I'm sitting now by Madison Square Gardens, closed now. I don't know if East downtown is going to reopen, but LA also where both of you are. Talk about UCB and uh, David, I think your group was Oh Brother, Evan, you were in a couple uh, that were really uh, legendary within UCB circles in LA. But talk about UCB and what it what it meant to your careers and what it means overall in American comedy.
2: Right. Well first uh, just to jump in real quick, Matt, I think you're underselling my groups again. So I just yeah. want to just wanna cut right. out there, but, right okay. again.
1: David go ahead. I, I would I would agree that Evan was in two groups that were legendary that you couldn't summon the names for, but yet you knew oh, what my group. Uh, no, named. crud, crud, <laughs> and up, up, up. I've got it. Come on. I've got it. I've got um, it. But, well, I think it is true that Evan and I should be the ones to talk about UCB's importance in comedy and more so than Amy Poehler, or Matt Besser, or Ian Roberts, or Matt Walsh. But, um, you know, I think UCB was... At this perfect right place, right time thing, as is any, as you could say, for like any good comedy where there's always a little bit of luck in placement. And UCB for me was luck in finding it at the right time. And probably for its own importance and success was just at this specific place where there was not enough stage, not enough stage time for just the amount of people that wanted to be performing and doing comedy. And they sort of created their own stage for themselves. And that mantra of sorts allowed a lot more people uh, to get stage time and come to them as well. So I discovered it when I was interning in New York. And you just went to shows and it felt like, oh, this is if you were enough of a comedy nerd, this is where the funniest people are performing. And that's an obvious magnet of like, well, if this is where the funniest people are, I would like to be here also. And my experience sort of stemmed from that and sort of wanting to be around that. And that's who you end up meeting um, and collaborating with a little bit purely from you find you found the same people that have the same interests as you. Um, I don't know what Evan thinks.
2: Yeah, I think also, too, you know, from me moving to Los Angeles from the East Coast, how to even get started in comedy or the entertainment industry it seems like such a rubric that you can't figure out how to do you know how do I go from not knowing anyone to being you know on a staff of a television show or being paid to write a movie Um, but uh, being able to perform on a dirty stage at midnight that seemed a little more attainable um, Mm -hmm. at least at the time now the dirty stage (laughs) at midnight is just as that could be harder than (laughs) you know, being a co-executive producer of a show on cable.
1: Yeah, it's Um, also not that dirty anymore. It's a little too clean. It's a clean stage, you know. (laughs) And Um, and,
0: uh, not to overlook Crud 2 or Up Up Up. Sure, thank you. Evan, was there a Crud 1?
2: There was a Crud 1. It was an improv group that some of the members were in. And then Crud 2 was kind of a a little joke that we had uh, that the first group had been so legendary that it required a sequel. Um, so people were kind of, conf- but people were sometimes confused by
1: that. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs>
0: cle- clearly, I have to make sure
1: that I am more focused here with you, Evan. Um, well, no, it's very good that your audience now understands the yes. lineage.
3: <laughs> <Upgraded too.
1: laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, Evan,
0: you grew up in Maryland. Yeah. And at what point did you decide to make your way to L.A.?
2: pretty early on I was pretty set on um on doing it like I think that you know around the time that I was growing up was there started to be more books and discussion of television writers rooms um in media and it seemed I think also to uh my parents you know they could kind of see it as a potential career more so than like wanting to be an actor or some other you know crazy ideas that I had had so my You know, my parents, not, you know, the cliche of, oh, get a real job. My parents were very supportive. And my dad especially became like a running thing that every Hanukkah or birthday, I would get like a book about working in Hollywood or writing television. And I just was very set that uh, I was going to do this. But unfortunately, you know, when I finally got to Los Angeles, I discovered all of my knowledge was, you know, breaking into uh, Hollywood in like the early 90s. Um, and there was kind of a learning curve, but I was pretty set and I came in, I think pretty, you know, arrogant thinking that I'd be, you know,
1: yeah, you had a spec for Charles in charge, right? I, yes. Right. You yes. had written. a so Charles I, Charles I, spec yes, and I thought like, I was going to be working on staff
2: <laughs> of Charles in charge, you know, within a week of, you know, setting foot in Los Angeles. And now what's weird uh, is
1: that Charles in charge spec would probably be a great reboot right now and would it probably would be. be your best. I should have held on to it somewhere. Yeah. Now, and also a, f- a fun fact, which you would know as a listener of the show, but I'm sure your whole audience already knows this, is that Evan's yep. bar mitzvah theme was Planet Evanwood. So yes, we know as a 13-year-old, he was already plotting his move out here.
2: Yes. And in, you know, some sort of sick, narcissistic way, I thought, when I'm at the Emmys or the Oscars, they'll show the photos of the bar mitzvah. People will like that. It'll be cute.
1: Um, <laughs> so, you know,
2: I, I really had it all figured out.
1: Uh, or on your late night segment interview or something. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wasn't picky about that part about how the footage got used. Probably all three of those would be ideal. Right. Uh,
0: I'm not sure if that's a segue into the two questions. I will not take that (laughs) date, but uh, uh, and David, you grew up in L.A. Uh, You mentioned going to UCB in New York and uh, that it was tied to an internship. Was that your internship at Conan?
1: It was. Yeah. It was pretty directly tied just because so many of the Conan or some of the Conan writers would perform pretty heavily at UCB. I also knew a good amount of the SNL people at that time were performing there. So it was so close to what I wanted to be at least doing or imagining me doing for a job that I went to a UCB show. And from there was just going to those shows and I didn't start taking classes or anything until I moved back to LA. But I did sort of have a weird circuitous route because you'd think, growing up in LA that I wouldn't have gone, started at UCB New York, but that is, uh, and yeah, somehow my experience with the industry started in New York and not LA. LA was not, as much as I grew, like growing up in LA, I was not exposed to the industry the way that people probably imagine you have to be just by being around LA. My dad was a doctor. So maybe in a very parallel way, there would occasionally, he'd have a patient that like, worked on a TV show or something. And we went to a couple tapings, but also if you know, TV show tapings, those are things that mostly tourists go to in Like LA. It's, right. you, you either go, if you're a fan of shows growing up here, but it's not really a thing where it's like, you have to be from here or know someone to get in. They're pretty much like trying to get people to go to those tapings. So, um, but yeah, I had a, I, I wasn't really exposed or following that path until uh, committing to that uh, internship, which was sort of my last semester of senior year of college. So I wasn't uh, I wasn't doing my bar mitzvah theme full out for the Hollywood experience yet. I still had dreams of being a baseball player something crazy that no Jewish kid could ever do outside of like three ever in the history of right.
0: Judaism. Right. Team podiatrist. You would have a good shot at. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> and Evan, going back to that, experience trying to you know break into the business in the 90s was there a particular moment where things started to break your way where you said you know what I I, I think I might be getting a hang of this thing and I got a hand on the ladder and I'm gonna hold tight
2: um you know there were I think that one I again my version of what I thought Hollywood was I thought it was like the star is born kind of kid stays in the picture I think what I found was a lot more smaller breaks rather than one big break so obviously when i got on a group uh at ucb that was something the first time i got hired you know paid money to write that was a big break and it was really a culmination of a lot of little breaks the one big thing that was not so much a big break but just was a cool thing that happened was about six months of living out in la i was doing um I was like doing like shows at the UCB, doing the like improv open mic, basically, the improv jam is what they called it. And uh, one of those nights, Robin Williams showed up and I got to, again, this was nothing. I had done very little to achieve this. Anyone who was there could have been on stage, but I did end up uh, performing a scene with him. And that, for when I went home, that was like the first time I had been back to Maryland since moving to Los Angeles. And when I had that, I had that experience on like the Monday and then flew back on like Wednesday and that I felt like I was like, okay, I'm not wasting my time. I'm doing something, even though that, of course, led to absolutely nothing and didn't really mean anything. But it it felt like I'm in Hollywood. I'm making stuff happen.
0: Right. But it meant something to your psyche and to, you know, your feeling that, you know, this was
1: you were going to stay at this. And to the entire family that you told your whole yes. family as you went home <laughs> uh, then, oh i thought you meant mom... fa-
2: not just my family all the families I oh, yeah, part- I'm saying oh yeah that's the
1: thing all the families that heard from your your mom or your dad probably too mm-hmm. I mean, you know if i know mm-hmm. my if it was anything like my what my grandma would say yes. suddenly yeah. everyone knows you're performing <laughs> with robin williams mm-hmm.
2: and what he said yeah. to me afterwards yeah
1: exactly and then when he passed you probably got a lot of condolences sent to you
2: you I, it's very sad to say that I did get a few. Did you really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, because people had remembered the story <laughs> and said, I remember you told me that story. Like, it's so sad. I hope you're doing okay, which, you know, was they nice. Said, but and you're like, Also yeah. felt like at that moment, I'd maybe told too many people.
1: <laughs> sure. You started getting bagels and locks sent to you. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where you have to draw the line if you're getting food in that yes. situation. So of course I want to get to the deli boys, but just to spend a little bit more time on sort of your pathways, David, I, I think you started off as sort of a writer's assistant and were sort of involved, but you're still on the outside looking in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're writing episodes you're collaborating on some, uh, jumping ahead to Brooklyn 99 and uh, and you're writing episodes outright. Mm-hmm. Talk about that journey from being a writer's assistant sort of on the outside inside outside a little bit to yeah. really you know achieving what has to be a tremendous career goal and you must must I can't imagine what it feels like. To write a great episode like Jake and Sophia, or you know any of the other wonderful episodes and things that you've done on Brooklyn Nine Nine, and see your work come to life like that.
1: Well, thank you for acknowledging that episode. Don't not enough people do. Uh, the uh, it is it's interesting the way you put it and the way that Evan sort of put it because uh, the as we as we say everything's interesting on our podcast. That to me did make me feel like when you, it's sort of as you, you pull back and you're like, oh, the, that was sort of the big leap going from an assistant to a writer. But so many small little things have to happen along the way that it happens gradually enough that you don't ever, that I never really had that moment where I was like, oh my God, it happened, the thing. There were, I definitely remember though that big version of that feeling was was definitely getting my first writing job, which was on Robot Chicken, but it was after I had left you know, Parks and Rec, which is where I was the writer's assistant. So it didn't feel as directly like, oh, I'm the writer's assistant here. And now I'm being given something to write here. And it was an automatic connection. So it's sort of an interesting, still just a weird circuitous feeling of leaving this assistant position, getting a writing opportunity that wasn't a lot of these jobs aren't permanent. So every job uh, immediately goes from like, wow, I got it. And then you're like, oh, shit, now I have to do it. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel as satisfying in the moment uh, as you imagine it, just because you then don't want to mess it up. Um, but uh, definitely by the time uh, I made that transition, uh, it basically went from quitting a writer's assistant job, which was not like quitting in a bad way. It was just more there wasn't a position for me to go any further there. But I, I would say that feeling like you mentioned of the outside looking in, that builds up over time. I was working there for two years as uh, Mike Schur's assistant. And then I was two years as the writer's assistant. And that was enough time for me to feel like I got everything out of those jobs. You really learn a lot by being around the environment, but you really can't do it until you do it. You don't really get that opportunity until you sort of go and try and do it. So yeah, I would say without saying much, I don't know if I made any actual interesting statements there (laughs) It, it never felt like uh, a, a big moment, but looking back, uh, seeing the connection of sort of leaving the park's assistant position and eventually ending up at Brooklyn and feeling like I was really contributing to that show uh, was uh, a nice feeling. <laughs> uh, but only in looking back on it, you know, it happened so gradually and in the moment that I, you know, not until doing your podcast in this moment am I getting emotional.
0: (laughs) Great. Fantastic. No, I I think that that was a great answer. (laughs) So you mentioned robot chicken. I think somewhere Rick and Morty is part Mm -hmm. of the, the lexicon, if you will, parks and recreation, incredible, uh, incredibly well-respected by people that really know comedy. And of course, Brooklyn nine, nine, what is it about those shows that people who do what you do for a living hold in such high regard. I mean, they're funny. We can start yeah. there,
1: right? What do they hold in high regard? Well, well the fact that I worked s- on them probably is special. what everyone loves about them. <laughs>
3: right?
1: That, that, that may be it. You may have it's just probably answered that. Um, no, uh, they're well. It's interesting. They're very. All, they're all very different. Um, Rick and Morty. To me, it, like is probably the most cult like following for a show of all the shows I worked on in terms of a passionate fan base that, you know, you know, when I first got the job, my parents couldn't pronounce the name and didn't hadn't didn't know what it was. And then if once they mentioned it to someone and they heard that their friend's son loves that show, Uh, and then it became this thing that they were like happily being like, my son worked on Rick and Morty. And I'm like, the first time I got that job, you're like, you don't get health insurance. What is this thing? Rod and chicken. And I'm like, no, the first job was robot chicken. And they're like, you know, so there was definitely a recognizable excitement around Rick and Morty that was probably timing, just like anything, uh, the sort of obsession with, uh, there's a, there a little bit of cynicism and uh, darkness to the comedy that I think people were found very real in an interesting way. But I, I, it's hard to always pinpoint like why something really takes off. For me, Brooklyn is a little easier just because I feel like that is much more of a classic sitcom roadmap. I think it's very comforting. And I think a lot of the, the characters like each other and it sticks to the Parks model, which sticks to the Cheers model, which sticks to a lot of the sitcoms before it. Even if the jokes are faster paced and a little bit uh, different in the setting or what they might be joking about, because it's 2020 versus 1990. But in general, the story structures and the character inner relationships and dynamics are all sort of the classic sitcom that I think is much, very comforting and why people want to turn on TV.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, Evan, the variety of things that you have worked on is incredible to me uh Thank from you. i've never seen rowdy roddy piper seth rogan you know mike mitchell mike yeah. mitchell who we'll get to i mean uh-huh. <laughs> just the just the jambalaya of comedy that you have worked on is staggering
2: well a lot of that stuff early on is you know i was around um UCB and also funnier Die and some of those were just shorts um, and little projects that maybe took like, you know, a week or a day or something like that and some of them were, you know, months long things but I think early on and I still have this kind of attitude where I'm just, you know, I'm just happy to be here so I think that uh, it's, you know, fun to work on different kind of projects and um, and, uh, you know, I always uh, have that kind of element of wanting to do something fun um and specifically you know those things that you mentioned with uh that like some of those things involve celebrities uh I have something that I like said to myself when I moved to Los Angeles that I was never going to turn down an opportunity to meet a celebrity because <laughs> I think that's a very fun thing to do <laughs> and
1: so so uh it's a, it's a good roadmap for life because it, it makes you, either way, you end up in a very interesting situation. If it doesn't go well, there's still yeah. something interesting to come out of it. Yes. Fantastic. Well,
2: especially, you know, when I was first when I first moved to L.A., the, the only question that I would get is, do you know or have you met any celebrities? And for the first, you know, little while besides that Robin Williams story, the answer was basically no. Um, so now I can be like, Oh, I I got a bunch. Who do you want to hear? Mike Mitchell, Mike Mitchell, right? (laughs) enormous
0: celebrity. (laughs) Uh, and then you have this major, major breakthrough with fist fight, uh, Mm -hmm. fantastic film, ice cube, Charlie day, Christina Hendricks, you and your writing partner, Van Mm Robeshaugh. Yeah. Give us the journey of how that all went down and, Mm-hmm. That must have just been an incredible victory. Your parents must have been thrilled. You must have been thrilled.
2: Sure. No, that was great. That was as far as like the Hollywood, you know, the planet Evan Wood dream realized as possible where, you know, uh, it was a big you know movie premiere released nationwide billboards and Times Square and Los Angeles, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but, you know, in the same kind of way, it's, it started slow. It was uh, Van and I, we wrote, uh, a screenplay Chewy which uh was on this thing called the Blacklist of popular unproduced screenplays. so that never got made but it led to a meeting about this movie Fist Fight, which they had you know the idea this actor Max Greenfield had the idea of two teachers getting into a fight um and we uh we had the meeting and I said you know like I I don't know about this if I'm the right person like I'm so scared of ever getting into a fight I would never uh i just can't connect to it and then i'll give van credit he said no that's the movie what if one of the characters is terrified of being in a fight and i said "Oh, okay yeah that could be good um (laughs) and we wrote this but again so we pitched the script we pitched it to you know five of the major studios four of them said no new line said yes just writing the script and we wrote the script and they uh they liked it but we'd also had that happen before where a studio likes a script but then nothing happens But then uh, we got a call that Charlie Day had asked New Line, like, hey, do you have any scripts that like you're still kind of working on that haven't gone out to actors yet? Um, And they said, oh, we just got this one that came in and he got it and he really responded to it and so then he liked it and then they said and oh he well that's
1: like, wait, this is the guy who performed with robin williams i gotta read
2: yeah. it <laughs>
3: my, my aunt told me about this i gotta read <laughs> it
1: um
2: and then after that ice cube uh who wanted to do a movie with charlie day was interested and then it you know it got made really quickly at that point and it was really kind of crazy to be on kind of that kind of rocket ship for you know a while of just like a big movie going into production um And uh, so that was very exciting to just have that whole experience.
0: Fantastic. And the movie was, I think, about 2017. Yeah. And somewhere in 2016, I believe it was on either the third or fourth episode where you were talking about Steak and Shake. (laughs) (laughs) and An an announcement (laughs) is made. of a new podcast uh-huh. can you give us here which what i think this may be for the first time in a public forum the true origin story of the deli boys
2: <laughs> no because i can't remember
1: <laughs> david can you <laughs> uh, uh i can't because of some very strict legal documents that <laughs> we signed early on I mean, man, that's a really good question because <laughs> I think Evan and I probably had different memories of it. Uh, but I think we remember the meal at Arts when we were like, are we going to do it?
2: Right.
3: Yes. <laughs> well, I
1: think that so our
2: friends have a very successful podcast called The Doughboys, which is rating and reviewing uh, chain restaurants. And I, uh, I had been kind of a part of that podcast in a tertiary role uh, from the beginning, and I think that David and it started as a joke that David yeah. and I were going to do our own version called Deli Boys, uh, the Jewish version that we would rip it off. Um, and I think it was mostly a joke for a long time, but then we started talking about it a little bit more, and then on the Doughboys they wanted to do a podcast about uh Deli, and I believe we that was part
0: having- of the part of the October Blessed. Month. yes
2: right yes. and this and then i think they said oh like if you guys want to co- go on to launch deli boys which you know we had been talked we had talked about it so many times that i think <laughs> they didn't think it was a joke anymore and maybe it wasn't I w- i'm not really sure and then i'm not sure then- if it was
1: still a joke when we went on and like announced that we were doing it cuz i think at that point we still didn't think we were going to do it
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know we liked going on we liked it it was kind of our first time appearing on microphone together and yeah perf- whatever you call it performing or whatever we were doing together <laughs> and we liked well, doing it that was sort of and like a liked- robin
1: williams evan yes. you know uh-huh. duo
2: yes and uh and we liked doing it and we liked the reaction most importantly mm-hmm. um and then we decided well then we decided to start raising money first and foremost
1: Um, yes there was a lot of jokes uh, that were sort of pushing it forward until it had to become a reality and then having to figure out what the podcast would be because i do think it kept being just funny to make the joke and push the joke further until it got to the point where we were either like wait we have to actually do the podcast or figure out a heightening of the joke and i think the joke couldn't heighten anymore without us actually doing the podcast yes yes if that's maybe overthinking it, so we but were I think that is it. what we happened. Cornered into it. <laughs> we cornered
0: ourselves yeah. into doing it. I, I think one might call this manifest destiny. If we're looking back yes. at, you know, <laughs> if we're really calling it. And you mentioned uh, Nick Weiger and Mike Mitchell, who are seminal yeah. players and Evan, you undersold. This <laughs> is you. me. This is me turning the tables. Yes. Now you undersold the centrality that you play <laughs> on the Doughboys as the commissioner of the tournament of champions. Yes. You are the best and I think most frequent guest uh, Mm -hmm. over the life of the podcast uh, and play a seminal role there. And in what I think, and it's very hard to say, you know, what's the funniest thing you've ever seen or heard, right? That's a, we've all seen a lot of funny stuff, but Mm -hmm. that you show up in an audio medium in a suit when Uh you are (laughs) acting as the commissioner of the tournament of champions, also known as my. Munch Madness, I I think is so brilliant. <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about Mike and Nick and the journey from the Doughboys to the Deli Boys, and then we're really gonna get into the Deli Boys.
1: Okay, great. Well, Evan, did you okay. just already okay, good? <laughs> Commissioner, please. I, I think he lost it. I think he got a little delayed.
2: I'm I'm here. Am I okay? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. And and we'll leave
0: this. We uh, won't edit this. Yeah. We're going to leave this <laughs> okay. just, just like when, no. I think we will not. We will let this go just as it is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds right. Yeah. No. So I think that uh, they started that podcast, and I, um, in true form, I started going to the meals with them, where uh, you know they would have to go to these chain restaurants, and they would sometimes like be like, oh, hey, I got to go to a T.J. Friday's. The only one is forty-five minutes away. And they would just text, you know, our group of friends. And I'd say, oh, I'll come to that. And uh, he said, really? And I said, yeah, sure. It'll be fun. And I just started going. And then it started being a thing on the podcast where they would talk about these meals and say, oh, yeah. And then uh, Evan came along and we had to pay for his meal. Um, And then so it started that started being amusing to me that I was going to these meals and being talked about on the podcast, but never... um, But it hadn't been even on yet. And then at a certain point I went on and I kind of, you know, since Nick and Mitch are my close friends, I kind of knew how to push their buttons. So that kind of came out and then um, doing the Tournament of Champions just kind of grew out of that. And that was all really fun. Um, And but then at a certain point I started to be like, hey, like I got to I got to get my own thing going. (laughs) <laughs>
0: um, but uh, yeah I mean I don't know David you want to talk about them at all and
2: David you were, uh, on, you
1: were on
0: an episode I think reviewing Hillstone as I recall
1: yes I was on one episode it was le- <laughs> so legendary I was never got asked back <laughs> until. <laughs> until as a deli boy yeah. um, but the yeah I think Evan covered it He he forked his way into the show mm-hmm. and found a good platform for us to eventually launch Deli Boys Enterprises and our business venture, our Patreon. I have a question for you, Matt. Did you discover Doughboys through your son as well? Or was that yes. you were what you were? OK, got it. Yes.
0: Yeah. He's a real uh, consumer of content and a student of comedy. He's a UCB kid also. Oh. And I used to wait online on Sunday nights for ASCAT and, you know, would spend three days there, not showered and maybe having not visited a bathroom during the Del Close marathon. So he <laughs> was, he was all in and it all, it all comes from my son, Benny. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. No. So the Delhi boys is born yes. and you begin each episode with a phone call to one of your parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How difficult was it to decide which parent got the first phone call? <laughs> Easy. <Wow. laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, stir up <laughs> any old wounds here, but um, just the listeners want to know this. I
2: think it's, it was a conversation.
0: It was definitely. And, but we a also conversation. knew that
2: whoever we picked, I think that we also. I also was very confident that my parents were going to listen to the first episode, and mm-hmm. I thought, oh boy. If we call David's mom first, then I've got material for the second episode.
1: I think that's how we decided it. I think we decided and I think that's how we came to a good agreement on it, because I knew that if I didn't call my mom, she would never hear about the podcast or listen to it or understand how to listen to a podcast. So I had to give her a call anyways to tell her what a podcast was. So I was like, we might as well record that version of what it is and see what happens, and if it doesn't, if it, if, if it doesn't work, we can then we can throw that into the garbage and call Evan's mom. And, and, if we, and say, we knew Evan's dad would want to be on the most, so we wanted to neg him as much as possible. Yes. Really get only. him desperate. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and if we say, Evan, that you wearing a suit on an audio medium is the funniest thing, the second funniest might be, David, when you did the episode with Dan Gore, uh, and literally walked into your house, to your <laughs> yes. mom, and recorded the episode <laughs> there, so she would be forced to listen, and <laughs> would have to ultimately understand what her son was
1: doing. Yes, I. Well, thank you. I also agree that that is the second funniest thing.
3: Do we do this? Get in there. Do we, you want to say where we are? You guys should well, set the scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We're at my parents' house. We're going to go knock on the door and see if my mom's home. Hello, mom? Hi. Hold on here. We need you to grab this microphone. Thank you. Come on in, everybody. Do you have any idea what's happening?
3: Absolutely none.
1: So you've stopped listening to the podcast. I have. And we figured the only way to handle this situation is to bring the podcast to you. So we're recording an episode live for you right now. And that's the only way to get my mom to listen
3: if I learn how to
1: to do it. Well, I think technologically this is going to be much easier for you after we set up. We brought our special guest today, Hi. Dan Gore. Creator oh, yeah, of Brooklyn. Yeah. Hi, how are you doing? I, you, very nice to meet did a big you not, fan of your whole family. <laughs>
3: thank you, thank
1: you. Did you not recognize him? Not really. You so, met him once. I've had a lot of work done. Uh, <laughs>
3: maybe like at a theme park or something. Uh, no, what? Brooklyn. <laughs> you uh, came to okay.
1: Brooklyn, you walked into the room, you introduced yourself.
3: David,
2: okay, I think you really Given put this, your mom on the spot. Yeah. yeah. Of
1: course we're putting her on the spot. She doesn't listen to my podcast, <laughs> <Yeah>. Evan. <laughs> She's put herself on the spot. She's avoided her own Apparently, son's work. Your
3: mother has made leaps and bounds above mine, right?
1: <laughs> no, she's also not. Yeah, she's not. Also- oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know what? If we had a little bit more effort, I think we could have chased more. We could have recorded more of them in my mom's li- living room and forced her to be sort of in there, but instead, she's not no longer part of it and uh, she probably hasn't listened to it since, sadly. Oh, boy. So <laughs> But it was funny. There's
0: there's a whole ecosystem of uh, great comedic minds, many of whom you've had as guests, because the format of the show... Um, well, I should let you talk about the format of the show. I shouldn't do that.
2: Um, well, okay. well, the format of the show is we call our moms, and then we go to a <laughs> deli. Um, <laughs> and that's about it. And then we do, we do try and do segments, uh, which we, we kind of shot ourselves... Uh, in the foot because on the first one we did a segment and people seemed to like it and then it all of a sudden it became oh we got to do we got to do segments now and this yes. is the thing and that's probably the thing that we hate the most about doing the show is the feeling of we got to come up with something for a segment and we're usually coming up with it an hour before we record and Frantic, and and then we say at one point, maybe we don't need a segment for this one.
1: (laughs) And then our poor guests that have to like see us like frantically typing them onto our laptops in front of them, like just to make sure we can read the thing we need to read. But it's all part of the fun part of the show. We we like to think. And and there (laughs) is, and you do have a guest every
0: show, and there is a almost a fraternity or a sorority of comedians who between deli boys, Doughboys, many of them have their own podcast, people like Jordan Morris. I mean, there's a whole, the podcast evolution has created this whole ecosystem of incredibly funny people. And it seems yeah. like a real fraternity.
2: Um, I think there is uh, something to that actually. I mean, I think that, um, you know, that was kind of the first, uh, cause it's interesting with podcasting, uh that was not something that existed before i came to los angeles and was kind of you know a part of it relatively early on um so it's funny when i meet someone and they say oh i'm a big fan of comedy and i'm expecting to say like oh you know i like saturday night live or that kind of stuff and they're like i love podcasts and they're naming Mm -hmm. people like john Gabris or the doughboys or all these kind of or jordan morris uh jordan jesse go and it's like oh wow um all these people who and uh, you know at first I think podcasting felt like you know shouting into a void but now it's become more popular none more popular than deli boys obviously of course um but uh (laughs) but yeah and there is a certain kind of you know people who are kind of around it kind of comes from UCB but you know it's also enough of the same people so I think that uh,
1: it, <laughs> that's it's why also we're good on Great Minds here. We are, we're, right. we're, we're branching out uh-huh. here. Uh, <laughs> we're getting into the Great Minds verse.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, listen, it's, <laughs> it is nowhere near as prestigious as the Deliverse.
1: <laughs> so,
3: so
0: season one, you do about 14 episodes. Yep. And you don't rate the Jewish no. delis of Los Angeles. You rank them.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Can we talk about, and I know some of your guests uh, uh, thought the rankings were not the best part of the show. I think many of the other guests <laughs> and me disagree. Uh, we love the rankings, especially that uh is ranked, which has been closed throughout the life yeah. of the Deli Boys, is ranked ahead right. of Jerry's. I think we all enjoy that immensely. You can't seem to rank mm-hmm. Jerry's low enough. Let's talk about the rankings and, and where that conversation came from, and then as an option, we can talk about the origin of the two questions or we can
1: not talk about the origin of the two questions. Now, that's an interesting thing. But
0: I'm gonna give you that option.
1: (laughs) A thing that most of our guests don't get, an option to discuss the two questions. Uh, Well, the rankings came into play, I think, again, with the same aspect of like, a little half figured out, but mostly figured out of like, we know this is going to create more fun conversation. But like you said, I do think we never quite figured it out so much that we knew exactly how that conversation should go and how long it should be. (laughs) And so sometimes maybe getting too deep into that when everyone's like, okay, we already heard you talk about this. You know, who knows how uh, uh, perfectly that went. But I do think there was there's something we didn't know how repetitive it would be. (laughs) Yeah. And then we, of course, not wanting to, you know, admit defeat, we leaned into how repetitive it was. (laughs) You're like, well, that's going to be the joke. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But I think ranking, there, there was something we found in terms of conversation with friends or talking about delis and your favorite even foods or anything, that it creates a real debate when you decide something is worse or better than another thing, as opposed to just saying like, how much you liked something. So I think that, and it's why people like looking for lists and things on the internet. And it's just like, I think that just became a very clear thing. I forget how we decided on that, but I do remember when we did, we're like, oh, that will be a lot more fun than just going to a deli and being like, we liked it, or we didn't like it. We were like, this, this will give us something more to talk about.
2: Evan? Well, yes, even before I noticed that people, you know, they know who I am, they know what I'm about. And if they wanted a Jewish deli, people wouldn't text me and say, what's a great Jewish deli in Los Angeles? People text, what's the best Jewish deli in Los Angeles? Nobody, nobody, they don't, it doesn't matter if it's great, if it's fantastic, but there's one better, then you feel like a schmuck for eating at it. So that's why I think that the ranking really locked in as this is what we're doing. And it's why we were
1: the first to ever do
0: it. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> completely new original territory that you have crafted. Yes, exactly. And Evan, you grew up on the East Coast, so when you were getting deli, it was folks were bringing it down from New York. Is that right? Yeah, that would be
2: oftentimes how how it would go.
0: And yeah. conventional thinking by New Yorkers, because I talk about, you know, the deli boys, obviously. Uh, and talk about the uh, wonderful experiences that I've had going to the places that you talk about on the show. And when I come back and I tell my friends in New York that the LA Jewish deli scene is vastly superior to New York, and I'm a New Yorker, so I don't come in with that. Wow. bias. I don't come in with that bias. That's strong. But it is 100 percent true. And I've been to all the big places in New York. I worked at one as a kid, which I mentioned earlier, you know, there's Liebman's in the Bronx and there's Lido Kosher, you know, out by the beach, not too far from Jones Beach. And there's Katz's, of course, and many of the other legendary places, sadly, are gone. Carnegie is gone. Stage is gone. Yeah, Second Second Avenue Deli is no longer on Second Avenue and isn't really what it once was. Um, but there's a particular item in Los Angeles and I can't figure out why it's so much better. The rye bread. There is something about the LA it's the rye. water.
1: It's the water in LA. What, what, what is it? <laughs> no,
0: that's not the bagel thing. The water. That's not true. No, either. no, 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 <laughs> but, no. It's but, the,
1: the, there's something about the drought in Los Angeles that dries every night. No. <laughs> um, but the, the, what, the I, I L.A. Actually,
0: scene and the rye, but the overall strength um, in quality and frankly, quantity.
1: Where would mm-hmm. you say your favorite rye bread is? And we'll bleep it if we haven't reviewed the deli. We'll have to get into well, well, your archives. Uh, bleep, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, well, listen, I, I, I think the uh, I did go to I've had both Langer's and bleep. Oh, we have to bleep, we have to bleep that and da- da- daughters, which we don't yeah. have to. bleep. OK, and I great, think the right. double bake, the twice baked rye. The double baked is tremendous, but I, I, I will tell you that, you know, the meal, if, if someone said, okay, you've got one meal left, you know, tomorrow, that's it for you. I would go to 11 city and yeah. wow. Uh, great review. And I thought that Brent's mm-hmm. I've not been, I've only been to, let's see, I guess now actually I've been to both. We went to Northridge and to Westlake last mm-hmm. trip, as you did, you mm-hmm. went to both locations. I thought yeah. Brent, I thought you got it right. And I have a fondness Mm -hmm. because I sat with the owner's daughter the first time I went to Factors. And I think when you walk in there, that place just screams Jewish deli and screams Jew. And I think the (laughs) the way the old pictures on the wall that, you know, it looks like everybody just got off the boat, you know, from Ellis Island, you know, it's got a feel (laughs) to it. And I, I, I love, absolutely love Factors as well.
1: Factors is great. Yeah. That is it. No,
2: then, they're all and... they're all great. And
1: I well, I was what I was <laughs> gonna say is I, I wouldn't necessarily be able to go as far as to say LA delis are better than New York, but I do think the reason I had some interest in starting the podcast with Evan was to say that they definitely had a place in the deli discussion. Cause I probably haven't experienced enough New York delis to make that official statement, but I had been to some to know that. The L.A. deli scene is actually not that, not like some sort of like second uh, citizen to the New York deli scene. Well, and I think and that I they think, do something great.
0: And you are responsible for what is widely referred to as the deli boom.
2: Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think we got we got we got kind of lucky or maybe we caused it that around the time <laughs> we started doing the podcast, all of these great delis started opening And I think that part of it is in New York, you know, people know Jewish Deli in New York and certain things like, oh, the rye bread tastes like rye bread. You know, that is what it is. And maybe in Los Angeles, where people don't grow up with it, maybe they have to kind of compete on just like a a full normal food landscape. And if you have like a restaurant and you're like, oh, this bread is kind of dry and not very good. That's why they kind of had to up it up the game on the rye bread. I don't really know
1: um it's true there's I think less delis does. probably mm-hmm. yeah but
0: uh, it's absolutely fantastic and i you know nate now still venerable i hope that they find a way to go forward Same. uh canter's you know has its own specialness with the kibbutz room and mm-hmm. you know i think i agreed with your ranking there the food is good but the place is special mm-hmm. yeah. uh and there's a place for it okay so i'm, I'm not gonna try to
1: outrank you and the, and how about the new bagel boom that we started? Cause that's been very recent. I mean, yeah,
3: well, the, where, the, are you, the,
1: do you think the bagels are living up yet? Or do you think New York still has it on the, on the bagel? Okay. So since you asked, and I do enjoy the bagel break segment. Great. I also,
0: uh, as a subscriber, we'll, we'll
1: lend you the bagel break segment to your podcast here. We can start it. Pay a royalty fee. <laughs> Thank break you. So, <laughs>
0: uh, uh, I have a good story for you here. So I, in addition to working at the Windsor Park Kosher Deli, the owner long gone, Stanley Futterman, I'm certain his name has not been said on any podcast anywhere. Um, I also baked bagels as a kid. Whoa. And I did it all through Queens. And in an oddity of life, I'm adopted. And at the age of 35, I met my biological family and it turns out their business was the bagel business. So I have uh, sesame seeds uh, flowing through my veins. Oh, my God. Um, I will tell you that the L.A. bagel scene is nowhere close to New York. It's, uh, it's uh, like Ali versus Chuck Wepner. Um, and I think the lore of the water is not really true. Or Like Marcus Weinberg to Stanley Futterman. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Brad- Bradley Rubin you know, uh, would be Bradley, in the, Bradley, in, the in the, in the top rung of the ladder, <laughs> uh, we are also having on the podcast as part of a culinary tour de force week featuring really? the deli wow. boys and Bradley. Yeah. So, wow. um, but the, no, the LA bagel is uh, you're, you're playing double a ball. We're out still, there.
1: we're still, we're still behind, but we're making a move. I have a question now. I know this is not about you, this podcast, but I'm fascinated. You were, were you adopted by Jewish parents? I was. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you and,
3: were, like, yes,
1: yes. That would have been, okay.
0: I think you if can, you were, you know, <laughs> look at me and what does this say to you? Well, you know? it's, well,
1: you got, you got this genetic Jewishness. and so then I'm yes. like, you're right. Ra- I mean, I was wondering if we were going to have an interesting experiment, but it turns out they sort of muddied yes. the control group and they're just uh-huh. like, Oh no, we're a adop- <laughs> we're, we're Jewish parents. We're going to adopt got a, double a Jewish dose. baby. Yeah, no,
0: uh, f- 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 full, full Jew, um, and you. So you had this incredibly successful first season, uh, sure. listenership off the charts, buzz everywhere, articles in the Jewish folk in the Jewish Forward, yes. um, blowing up in the press. I think that's that's you know a fair characterization. Yeah. You mentioned uh, an and- eater, mentioned an Blurter, eater, if you will. Yes, and you go on to season two, and then COVID hits and it becomes difficult talk about that experience of trying to go forward with season two and ultimately deciding to not go forward
2: Hmm. not going forward is always the the that's our go-to after everyone (laughs) and i i i think that at first, we thought, oh, this will, we can figure out a way to do it remotely. We did a great episode with our friend Dave King. But then at a certain point, we thought, oh, you know what? Getting delivery from delis, that's not necessarily so fun. This is going to be wrapped up, this whole COVID thing, in a couple of months. Let's just wait till we're <laughs> back in person to do it. And then it went a lot longer. Also, I think we like to have kind of a flippant, tone when we do our podcast and there was just a lot of depressing stuff and going on in the world and we said well you know a great humorist could um could find comedy in this uh, depression and so then we decided to just not do it um <laughs> but <laughs> but i think that yeah also with restaurants potentially closing and delis did we want to be you know making fun of delis or any of that kind of thing and also just everybody there was a lot of stuff going on in the world so we, we just decided to to put a put a pause put a break on it
1: yeah i think you got a full peek into our mindset there instead of the easy answer which is like yeah it was a little hard <laughs> but it was it was interesting because if we were a weekly podcast like committed to being a weekly podcast which we decided long before covid not to be it would have probably been a different discussion but since we had this out of like no oh, the purpose of it is that we want to do it the way we want to do it and i think it's more fun in this way that we were planning we did we we didn't pivot well we didn't handle change well we aren't we are creatures of habit and it threw a wrench in a way that we were like it's just going to be easier to do it when things are back to normal and then like evan said Back to normal became an impossible thing to define, and maybe never will be. So maybe that'll be our excuse for whether the show never comes back. But uh, yeah, it was. You know, who knows? Maybe there's a conspiracy to keep things keep the deli boys down. Mm-hmm. That's uh, you one see of the COVID that? conspiracies. Is I've that? Heard. I'm just saying. Yeah that that I did see that theory. <laughs> yeah that it goes ties back to Wuhan. And this and, is why you know. we didn't do it. This is why and we it, didn't do the podcast, because I would make that joke. And then we'd be like, why are we doing this? Why yes. are we doing this podcast?
0: Well, t- tone is certainly important <laughs> these days. And, and you mentioned also when you were talking about the early uh, the birth of the Delhi Boys, if you will, you know, raising money. And 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 this was not about raising money for charity. No, this was about raising money for you.
1: Yes. Yes. Talk about
0: the Patreon and then the episodes. I, of course, was a subscriber. I particularly enjoyed that you had an opportunity to give you additional money for no
1: additional benefit. I thought oh, that yeah. was absolutely brilliant other than just <laughs> giving you more Which, money. Which, by the way, is always an option as a delegate. But still, even though the Patreon is-, is
2: down, our Venmos, we will, if you, you message Reach us, I'll we'll send us. it to you. Um, yeah, I think that... <laughs> it w- it started to be a uh, a thing that we when we were doing the podcast that a lot of podcasts were having patreons where they were asking for money to do additional episodes, and we thought it would be fun to just have the patreon without making any promises or commitments. <laughs> um and then, much to our surprise, people started giving money, and then we felt guilty about it because you know we are we are good Jewish boys. and then we said, well, if they're giving us money. Then I guess we could afford to hire, you know, an audio engineer and we could buy the microphones and stuff. So then I feel like we have to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was also part of the reason that we shut down the Patreon is because if we stopped collecting money, then we wouldn't have to do it anymore. Oh, yeah. That's the
1: easiest way to get rid of the guilt. Yes.
0: Well, I was happy to give you continue to give you money even for no product at all.
1: Thank, so. you. You, Thank were, you. I mean, you've loomed large in our lives for a long time because we're like, how do we find some? This is great. Matt. Is, <laughs>
3: I mean,
1: Matt's a key contributor. Yes. To our lives. Yeah. We, we for, you know, a long time, we kind of were like, who is this man who loves
2: this podcast so much? <laughs>
1: um, and and we're, I will say. This probably leads us into our next segment because yes, we did plan a segment for your podcast. Oh boy. (laughs) It's not the two questions. It's not the two questions. It's guilt or guilt.
0: (laughs) And I assume we start by me owing you money.
1: You start.
2: Yes. yes. So we've, we've, we've done your podcast at this point, which I had a great time. I would have done it for free. You know, I think that it was kind of assumed that we were doing it for free. Yes, but you shouldn't have assumed that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, so I guess, so first there's the guilt. You know, we've done this podcast. We've done it for free. So we were thinking maybe you could get us on Deli Boys when it you know restarts. Maybe you could help us book a major guest because we looked at some of the names who've done your podcast. You got some heavy hitters. Oh yeah.
1: I, I would be we, we I would be thrilled. Be, so we got that list of guests that you've got. Where I mean, that's one of our most you know enviable things about your podcast. You got some great guests. Not great Dave minds. King, not Jordan Morris. We're talking no, real not, people. Not, no yeah, offense, you got to people, our people like good friends the Deli Boys. Are... You got the yeah. Deli Boys, and you, you got, got, got the Bob Deli
2: Costas. Boys. You got Bob Costas. You got Larry Charles. Uh huh. Yes. So one option is. You book Larry Charles on Deli Boys. Okay. (laughs) That's the guilt. Okay. And the guilt is, you know, you're talking up New York bagels, obviously, uh, Deli Boys. We've done a lot of Los Angeles at some point, especially when the world feels safer. We're, you know, we're interested in going to New York, you know, visiting some of those. The world doesn't
1: also, if if you agree to the guilt, we don't care about how safe it is. We'll take the guilt either way.
2: So the guilt but- <laughs> is, is the money for uh, David and I to go to New York City and visit a bunch of delis. So, round we, trip. you know, we, 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 could, round <laughs> trip. we could work oh, out oh, the exact at- You have to fly us back.
0: Coach, yes. premium economy or business? What are we looking at?
2: I mean, I think business. I think yeah, I'm
0: surprised you even had to ask. But again, like always... <laughs> so the answer is net jets. I've got to get a private jet. Right, yeah. Okay.
2: Exactly. As always on our podcast, LA Boys, open to negotiations on all of these. What, where are you at?
0: Okay, so uh, I, I, and I, I, you know, I'm either thrilled or depressed to say that getting to be the subject of an episode of guilt or get in the being guilt (laughs) or guilt in the segment Uh, Might be the greatest moment of my life. Uh, (laughs) They're passing the moment my children were born, uh, which says a lot about me. So uh, the answer is, I will be thrilled to help you um, book some great guests. Mm -hmm. Wow! Who can you email? If there's no guilt to this, then this is we got to change the guilt. (laughs) Well, hold on, hold on.
2: Who can we email right now?
0: Well, uh oh God. Okay. Yeah, there <laughs> we go. It, now is, we got the go. This is where it gets dicey now. <laughs> this is my equivalent moment of having to run to uh, the uh, Walgreens for lactate, right? You got yes. me on the spot here. So all right, how about Susie Esman from Kirby wow. Enthusiasm? That's wow. a pretty good one. Is that a good one? You're,
1: you're, you can email her right
0: now. I, I can, yes.
1: Well, and it sounds like you could probably ask her about Larry David too. <laughs> we're on an we're <laughs> on an email, uh, te-
0: we are on an email or text uh, relationship. Um Larry would not do it, though she did bring Larry. <laughs> He did bring Larry to advertising so, week and it was great, but I, I cannot that is get you so Larry. Funny. That,
1: <laughs> Larry. Larry,
0: And we did have him and he was brilliant. Uh, Susie interviewed mm-hmm. him for us and it was fantastic, but I could email or text either um, Susie. I, I could reach out to Larry Charles. I'm not as close to him, but he's you a know, wonderful
1: guy and I think he would do it you know i'm just right. thrilled that we got your your throat a little more high pitched here i feels like you're in the guilt center and that's yes. where we Oh,
2: great. We love I'm getting. I think we really succeeded. I, <laughs> I think. I think that. I think Susie would be fantastic. I, I'm sweat.
0: I'm. I'm sweating right now. You,
3: you're absolutely right.
2: <laughs> we will. I'm realizing if he does reach out, David, we'll really have to commit to doing
1: the podcast
2: again. I know. That's so, why I'm. I'd
1: rather have the trip to New York. Honestly. Well,
2: I unfortunately, need to give both <laughs> options. Yeah. So and, I, and, I. I think that I'm very happy with it. I think we will settle. We'll settle on this, and then we'll talk off mic about when we wanna pull the trigger on that ask, I
0: think. Yeah, and, uh, I, and what I would say about New York is, uh, I will absolutely not fly you here. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I would be willing to do is, um, I think this is, this is uh, fair and I think this is fitting. I would be willing to send someone who will be holding a sign Like, you know, one of those signs where somebody Uh writes it with a, not the holding Mm. up the iPad. I don't like that. But uh, Mm. a piece of paper with a dark colored magic marker that says Deli Boys. When you're getting wow. into the, you know, area, now does that person just hold up a sign? Does it also drive us
1: somewhere? They, <laughs> they, they, they hold no,
0: they only have a sign. They don't have a car, okay. but there will <laughs> okay. be a sign that will say "Deli Boys, welcoming you to JFK that or LaGuardia." Does, that
2: doesn't disqualify it. I like the, I like the idea. No, I love the sign. This.
0: Yeah, just yeah. the sign, not the so car, but the sign. A little bit of
2: guilt yes
0: mm-hmm. yeah and but not newark I'm, I'm not i'm not guilt. newark is too much of a pain in the ass i'm not going to newark so Sorry, it's jfk okay. or laguardia
2: great mm-hmm.
0: sign deli boys and then it would be my honor to take you on a tour of the great new york delis and i would pay for your meal
1: wow, wow. so we got a little okay. bit of guilt we got a, and little, a little bit, bit. Of, that's a guilt or guilt first. We got we kind of got both guilt and
0: guilt. Yeah, Listen, I, I was I was going to cave just the the uh, the ecstasy of being asked to participate <laughs> in a guilt or guilt segment. You had you had me right there. Well, that's you could, great. You, you could ask for anything. It.
1: Look, and if Susie Essman says no, then then you're going to have to uh, pay for the flight. It's a deal. Great.
0: <laughs> oh, it puts a lot of pressure on my friendship with Susie. <laughs> well, I will. I will be happy to ask her, and and she's a you know. I think I think she might say yes to this. I think she might like. She I think she'd I would, like talking I to you guys. Certainly would hope so. I think we'd have a great time. I think you would too. Yeah. I think you would too. <laughs> uh, so just to wrap, um, and uh, I'm going to just assume that the answer is yes. Uh, but are we looking? at what would either be the completion of season two or perhaps the start of season three of the deli boys. America wants to know.
2: <laughs> season two is completed. You know, we, 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 we've done, we, let's, let's, perfect you know, we arc we, a perfect work for season two. It's time for, it's time for a fresh start. And we've made a lot of promises to a lot of people about, more episodes and until it it, until it shows up uh in people's uh podcast feeds those promises are (laughs) worth not a penny (laughs) (laughs) but i am happy happy to on the great minds announce that there will definitely a hundred percent be a season three wow
1: i'm wow willing to confirm that and I'm also willing to deny it if if I need to go back on that confirmation. Uh, I, I, but for I, now I will confirm it. And I also agree that it it will probably just show up and people won't know why.
3: Yes.
2: <laughs> A lot so of people I hope will that they have stayed thought, subscribed. I thought I unsubscribed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fantastic. Well, you guys are just so uh, fantastic. And I love the deli boys. I love what you do. I love how you celebrate Jewish culture. Um, I love how you can get, you know, so much material out of, you know, you know, out of our, out of our culture and our food and to have these kinds of conversations, um, at the delis of, of America, across America are disappearing. I'm sure you saw the movie a couple of years ago that came out and, you know, there used to be thousands of them, but down to a few hundred. It's not quite as endangered as the uh, white rhino, but it is certainly, uh, disappearing. Uh, before our very eyes and what you guys do to keep us entertained and you've given me countless hours of pleasure i listen and re-listen to them all and uh i can't thank you enough for doing this and for tr- being on great minds and you two are truly two great minds
1: oh well thank you very much thank matt. you matt this was and
2: very thank you for all the nice it. words and your continued support of the podcast yes. we really do appreciate it
0: thank you for having us on You guys are great. Let me stop the recording.